Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. My name is Cosmos Dar, and this is Extraordinary America. What is Extraordinary America? Well, you see, America has always been about freedom, opportunity, and the pursuit of happiness. However, most Americans are not free when it comes to the financial front. Most Americans are suffering from financial slavery due to loss of jobs, stagnant wages, inflation, and debt. Wealth and income inequality is the norm now, and the middle class has all but disappeared. So Extraordinary America is about the abolition of financial slavery. It is about the financial freedom of the 99%. It is about the nation of immigrants and the descendant of immigrants restoring the extraordinary within themselves and setting themselves free. The path to financial freedom is through financialist education. It is through becoming entrepreneurs and investors on the light side. In this podcast, I interview fellow Americans who fought against the odds. Many of them came from humble beginnings to see how they did it. It is my hope through these interviews that the extraordinary within you shall awaken and that you will abolish financial slavery from your life and realize the American dream. Once again, welcome to Extraordinary America. Welcome back to the show, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. For today's episode, we have Liana Schwann. Liana is an entrepreneur, pharmacist, education specialist, and small business owner. She is the owner of Yellowstone Pharmacy, which is based in a small town from rural eastern Montana. Her pharmacy promotes health and wellness beyond the script through pharmacist-led clinical services, as well as carrying quality products. Her store strives to empower patients with chronic conditions through to live well with education, nutrition, fitness, and access to medication. The business culture is family-centered and community-focused and is committed to offering personalized care. Diabetes education is very near and dear to her heart, and she has made it her mission to encourage and show patients that they can not only survive with diabetes, but also thrive. She hopes to make a global impact with a premier digital curriculum that will aid and be of service to all patients with type 2 diabetes. In addition to being a small business owner, Liana is a wife and mother of three kids. She's also a symbol and hope of hope and inspiration to all those that want to support or start small business pharmacies with family and community values in opposition to big pharma who tend to prioritize profits over everything else and promote medicine that merely resolves the symptoms and not the root cause of the disease. Liana is what I would call an extraordinary American with an amazing vision and I'm honored to have her on the show. Liana, are you there? I am. How are you? Hey, Liana. Uh, it's an honor to have you as a guest on the show. I'm actually really excited to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. So, Liana, I know that you're an entrepreneur, you're a pharmacist, and you're a, a small business owner. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got started? Yeah, so my background, you know, it, it really began when I was very young. I'm a second generation pharmacist, so I, I really grew up um, in my mom and pop shop. My parents owned the pharmacy for 37 years. You know, my youngest memories um, in the business, I remember going to work with my parents and actually taking my stuffed animals and lining them up in the back room and and playing pharmacist and patients, you know, with my with my little stuffed animals. Um, so yeah, that that was kind of always instilled in me at a young age. Um, that community feel, 
seeing what they could do to help people. So um, yeah, that began my path. I um, went to pharmacy school in Montana as well. And after graduation, um, came home to my hometown and kind of stepped into a management role um, pretty, pretty much right off the start. So yeah, that's kind of how it all began for me. Wow, that's awesome. So Liana, what like regarding your pharmacy, like your pharmacy journey and your career overall, like what was your strategic goal and vision for your company and also for your career over this entire period that you did uh that that you did all of this? Yeah, you know, I I just really want to take the trajectory of my pharmacy on a new path of just overall health and wellness, truly beyond the script that incorporates more personalized care, more individualized care, um, you know, getting to the root causes of things and offer quality services as well as products, of course. Um, and just to be able to instill the hope and the joy that comes along with, you know, people who often have to live with chronic, chronic conditions. Um, yeah, just that overall sense of well-being. I see. So yeah, that that is amazing because you have like a vision to like take care and like serve uh people that are actually like sick and they want they want to get better. And one of the things that I wanted to know, and I'm really curious about this, is because you're a family person, you're a wife, and you're a mother of three kids, and you're also doing a business simultaneously. Most people are not able to uh, juggle both of that both of them at the same time. How do you manage to do that? Yeah, that you know, I am so lucky. Um, that was a big fear of mine, you know, before taking over the pharmacy was how am I going to juggle all this? And it just comes down to sometimes it does take a village. I am very fortunate. You know, we, my husband and I, we have um, both of our parents here in town. And so our kids get to grow up with their grandparents. And, and even more than that, we have just the best support system of friends you know, some some of them we went to high school with, some new and just extraordinary people, um, you know, even co-workers that just support us and, and everything from drop off to pick up. Um, you know, it, it is a juggling act for sure. Um, you know, I, I am responsible for most of that. My husband works about 35 miles away. And so he's gone before the kids get up and um, home kind of later. So, you know, that juggling act is is definitely a challenge at times, but I'm very well supported. And, you know, sometimes I do. I just have to ask for help. So it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like alien to me, but like as a mother, right? Like you have to raise the kids, but at the same time, you're also somebody that's doing business. And it's uh over the last 50, 60 years, like for a lot of women, like they have had to manage a career while raising kids. Like how do you advise women that want to start a business, but they already have a family, but they're afraid of like financial failure in general or like what is going to happen if I, my business fails and all of that and I got, I got kids to take care of? Yeah, you know, gosh, that's really a tough question. Just to have that vision of what you want locked in place and to start on a path and and be able to pivot and know that your strategy to get there might change, know that it is okay to take time for yourself. Self-care is is very important. Um, but yeah, that sense of 
of do you have someone to help you with things you know can you sit down and find the holes in your in your schedule where there actually are gaps of time where you can work on being more efficient to get things done so that way when you're home with family you can really just focus and and you know turn the clock off and and be present um you know the kind of that mindset has helped me um i'm still working on a lot of that you know it is really hard for an entrepreneur to to turn things off like that but um yeah i guess that would be a piece of my advice and then just you know stay true to yourself so you know it's really it's kind of like a great intersection that i just realized it's having like you're you have a family with three kids and like you're also from a small town a lot of people they actually feel like uh like when they're like they they normally like when i've talked to people in austin texas where i grew up right a lot of, uh, over the last 12 years a lot of people like came from small towns all over Texas that they were like, I feel they felt like the people over there were holding them back. And also like combined with the fact that they got to raise a family or take it makes, it seems like it makes it tough to do business when you're over there. But I don't know, like, what's your opinion on that altogether? Yeah, you know, I guess there's probably a paradigm belief there somewhere. Um, I guess I would say for me, though, Coming home to my small town, I felt nothing but support. You know, there there are things where I've been nervous or fearful when I want to instill change. You know, my parents did things a certain way for so long. How's it going to look when I come in and say, we're actually going to go down this path? You know, I just want to ensure the success of the pharmacy is here, you know, another 37, 38 years and beyond. And the industry has changed so much. And so... Yeah, I guess, you know, it just kind of depends on on where you want to take things. Um, you know, to be honest, I've never really had that urge to go live the city life. I've always just, I love to go visit. Um, I love to experience things. I want to be a jet setter, but it just makes coming home that much better. Well, yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because like when I, when I, when I've like, uh, like talked to people, a lot of them that came from like the small towns, like they were like, I, I felt like I was being held back and I wanted to go to the big cities to pursue my dream or like my American dream. But over here, you're actually suggesting the opposite, that it is possible to actually pursue your dream and passions like while, and then there are people that can support you in, uh, in small towns altogether. Cause there's like a big misconception in cities like where like they feel like you have to be in a city where to increase the number of opportunities. But what you're showing is that it, the, the opposite is also true, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There are so many opportunities. And, you know, I was just having this conversation with a friend um, not too long ago about how almost rural America is the American dream. I mean, it is just, you know, you know, your neighbor you know your neighbor's grandma and grandpa, you know their stories, you have all these amazing relationships. Um, there is a piece of truth to the um, opportunity piece, I guess I would say. You know, sometimes it is hard to grow and scale and you have to get really creative and think outside the box and be willing to come out of your comfort zone and go network and have new experiences in those more populated bigger cities to learn, you know, how can I, how can I grow from here? What can I do next? What, what's my next goal? And, and there is something to be said to learning from, from that situation. 
Liana, like as an immigrant, when I first came here, right, uh, one of the things I had to do was study the culture. And I noticed that there were two distinct cultures and two distinct American dreams that were being playing out simultaneously. One was the city life America and one was the rural America, you know, like different people, like they had, some people had this idea of like the white picket fence, like, you know, like just the hills, the countryside, uh, you have a family of kids and all of that, that you grow old together. Uh, with your husband or your wife and then uh, that's and then it's just a calm laid-back life and then there's the other people that uh told me that oh their their idea was to have the celebrity lifestyle like the los angeles the new york be super rich and just like have all these fancy cars and have these big mansions and all that and it's just these two great contrasts that i noticed over a period of time and they both think that it's the, the american dream but I don't know, what's what's your perspective on this entire thing altogether? Yeah, I mean, again, it, it comes down to the individual, but, you know, in a way, I, it, it all can be true. You know, why can't you have both? You know, why can't you have all the experiences and, um, you know, just choose the life that you want? We are in a place where you can do that. And I think that's the beauty of it all. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's just that it was just like interesting, like when I came here and then I was just trying to understand more about American culture, how there's like these two completely different worlds and they're just somehow simultaneously coexisting with each other. And there's these like, it's almost like, uh, like, you know, you're at this junction point and you have these two roads and then they lead to these two different uh, American dreams. One with one American dream being like, the house with the kids, the family, and uh, uh, and just basically the hills, the mountains, the lakes, like perhaps even like a beach or something. And then there's like the other side, which is like all about the the glamour and glitz, the kind of like the Las Vegas, Los Angeles style. So it's a very interesting contrast, and uh, I found I I just I was deeply fascinated by that. Yeah, and you know it might even be that that you know, American dream persona changes at different phases in one's life too, you know, um, to be able to have different experiences and to grow. And um, yeah, you know, for me, mine is definitely probably a little bit slower to where I can get out and travel and, and experience those more fast things. Um, we actually had some some friends visiting not long ago and it was so funny. We were out late and they, we were having dinner and, and enjoying company and music. And um, he said to me, oh, gosh, it's so great to be here. I really needed to slow down. And I was like, man, this is kind of a real upbeat night for us over here. Like, I'm tired <laughs> to go to bed. But yeah, it is. Everyone's, you know, perception of that is different. It's really interesting. Well, Liana, on a different note, what was like some of like the biggest lessons you learned while uh, you were like running your pharmacy and uh, just uh, like overall in your career altogether? Yeah, you just, you know, especially in the pharmacy industry, you you have to be resilient. You have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to pivot quickly. Um, you know, there's just a lot of barriers in the healthcare industry at times. And so I guess that would be, you know, one of the one of the things that come come to mind. I see. Yeah, uh, it, it's just like really interesting, right? Because like you have, uh, you have like these, uh, you have this. A lot of people when they think of pharmacy, they think of like the big pharma's in New York or something like that. 
but like uh what does what does it look like in a rural town altogether like what is the farm what is what is your worldview of how that looks like in general yeah so there are definitely different areas of pharmacy especially in retail you know the big box chains that have the grocery the retail the the areas where um pharmacists in those settings can sometimes reach burnout really quickly they have corporate telling them that they have to meet certain benchmarks and things like that um almost machine like you know and I, I have a lot of respect for pharmacists in that area um because they're they're working hard and they're um you know having to keep patients safe while doing all of that you know pumping out I don't even know how many prescriptions a day and um you know in our independent setting it is more um patient-centric I guess I would say um you know, we have a full front end, gifts over the counter, blood pressure monitoring, um, clinical services, you know, as well as the more traditional um, prescription dispensing. Um, but, you know, it's just the way that the industry is right now, it is very tough for independent pharmacy. There's um, almost like a monopoly feel with the way that the system is set up. And you know, I used to kind of say, gosh, it is, it's going to be hard for independent pharmacies to make it. It's, you know, we're, we're in the fight of our life. And that is true. But at the same time, I am so impressed with independent pharmacy right now, because we are still here and we still are making the pivots. We are still finding ways to help patients and we are finding ways to go above and beyond and not just survive, but try to thrive in the system that we're in. And, you know, it, we're banding together. We're trying to make legislation happen. And, you know, it's just, I get an optimistic feeling about it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to go anywhere. Liana, I have great admiration and respect for you in this regard, because, you know, like you know, right now, what I see on a national level, like it's just not in the pharmacist industry, but it's just like in general, like there's like a big battle between small independent businesses. Like, you know, what do you call the mom and pop shops? And the big retail businesses or the big pharma altogether. And these big businesses are just like monopolizing everything, as you said, and they're just like taking over. But you see America and the entire notion of uh, American economy is based on small independent businesses, right? But a lot, uh, but what, from your perspective, like what has been the situation like in general of like, uh, as a, like, what is your perspective as a small independent business owner knowing the situation? Yeah, you know, at times it's it's definitely very scary, you know, um, you know, things due to inflation and and you know, cost of goods where you're smaller, what's available to you versus, you know, the big box stores. Um, where I'm at it's very rural, but it is not uncommon, you know, the the nearest pharmacy is 45 miles away, the next box chain. And and it is not uncommon for patients to be have access to a lower copay prescription to want to drive there to get that. And while they're there, they'll get their groceries. While they're there, they'll shop for clothes. Um, so that is something that we have to contend with. But at the same time, there there is a lot of loyalty in small town America. There is a lot of loyalty to small businesses. And again, another great community feel where you can just band together and, you know, 
what does our community ha not have that we need to bring in? Um, you know, how can we better serve our, our people and our patients um, to make it so where they, they don't have to travel or they don't want to travel? And, you know, just how can we, how can we be better and, and band together to do that? No, Liana, uh, that's something that I noticed, right? Like a lot of times, like whenever you see the news and the media, like they're always looking at these big businesses like Apple, uh, Apple or like Tesla and stuff like that. And like everybody glamorizes and thinks, think of that as like the coolest thing ever. But what makes America run is actually small independent businesses. And most of them are like in rural America uh, altogether, right? Like everybody keeps focusing on like the, the big companies altogether, but this is what's making most of America run. Like the economy runs based on that. And it's, it's yeah. something that I find deeply interesting, you know? Yeah, definitely. Cause, uh, cause I think personally for me, like uh, what would make the economy run better is actually promoting small business owners and actually uh, giving them the resources to make uh, their businesses function versus like going to like these, big mega businesses that just like prioritize profits and then like in the pharmacy uh in the in the pharmacy industry at least that uh from like people that i talked with like they're basically focused on giving you pills that more like focus on the symptoms rather than curing the disease because that's more profitable but i don't know what's what's your thought on that entire thing because you might know that better than i do yeah no i think that is definitely a, a perception um you know, in, in my world, the actual act of dispensing medications and, and the way that the system is set up, the reimbursements, they just go down and down and down. And there's actually clawback fees now that are imposed um, on pharmacies. So, you know, that's just where it comes. I think the one of the biggest differences is in the services offered, you know, the the things that are beyond the script, right? The um can you tell us a little can you tell the audience a little bit more about what the script is because uh most of us are not in the pharmacy or the medical industry yeah so literally a prescription or a medicine you know coming in for um you know we're more than a, a destination of just a place to pick up medication we want to educate you we want to offer um Things like a DNA test where we can learn how your body metabolizes medications and what is the best fit for you. Can we can we actually de-prescribe um, for you so you're not on so many medications? Diabetes education, you know, pharmacies are doing immunizations now. Um, just so many things that, you know, we're the most easily accessible healthcare worker. You know, you can come in anytime, no appointment necessary. Um, and we're really kind of a, a missing link in the system. You know, we can communicate with your doctor. We can communicate with your insurance company. Um, so, yeah, I think it just is a, a great one stop where you can um, really benefit with your health for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually pretty interesting that you say that. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I think that we definitely have to have uh more uh we have to definitely think about pharmacies and uh, on like a more small independent business level because i don't know if, like for me personally i see cvs and walgreens everywhere and i'm like is this like, the only two type of pharmacies around like at least like when i'm in austin texas or like if i'm like in a city in florida or something like that so yeah right so liana on a different note like what are some of like the biggest challenges you had to face while 
while you were running your farmers, uh, like your 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 pharmacy store? Yeah. So, you know, I think I'm still in the middle of quite a few of those challenges. Um, I just purchased the pharmacy. I'm coming up on a year here. Um, January will be a year. So, you know, the whole transitional period of purchasing a pharmacy um, is very difficult when you're having to transfer um, contracting and licensing numbers and and just all that, trying to make that fluid. So the actual um, purchasing process was was very difficult. You know, when do you turn on all your new numbers versus working under a power of attorney and making sure all the contracts are there so that your patients all of a sudden are not being served because you lost something. Um, and so that that was a a headache for a while, that process. Um, and then now just really trying to, you know, put the pharmacy on a on a path, you know, like loading that pipeline for success. Um, you know, basically trying to do that without fear, without um, disruption in, in your services and and continuing to be there for your patients. That is awesome, Liana. So Liana, tell me this. If so, if there's somebody like uh, who wants to start a pharmacy business, right? But like they're afraid of starting because like they're afraid of like some uh, of like companies like CVS or Walgreens. And they're like, how am I going to like compete with all of these people? And what's the point? And they have this fear of failure. What would you advise such a person on how to go about uh, how to go about starting a business in this field? Yeah, you know, for a for a new startup, um, you you just you definitely have to do your research and figure out what kind of niche can you provide there. There's other areas like durable medical equipment. There's compounding pharmacy. There's there's so many areas you can go or direction you can go, but it, it does need to be thought out and surveyed and analyzed to make sure that you you can make it. And and then obviously to be able to um, be a place of premier care as far as quality of, of who you are, how you treat others, um, that sort of thing, of course. But yeah, I would say just really doing your research on the area of where you're trying to go in. Yeah, I'm glad you really say that, Leanne, because a lot of people like they want to start businesses, like at least, uh, uh, at least like in like the field that they're passionate about, but they're always afraid of like the big businesses and like it's already uh, hard to start a business on your own, and like and especially for people that have families, like it's even harder. But on top of that, they have to think about like. Oh, big businesses are going. I have to compete with them. What is what is the thing that I can do differently? Like it it puts a fear like fear in a lot of people. So you have no idea, but you're actually inspiring a lot of people just by like doing the business the way you're doing. You know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Liana, on a different note, you know, uh, over the last several years in America, there's been a deterioration. And like not just in the government, but also in the family unit and uh, in also in the financial sector as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on, like, what are your thoughts regarding America's future? And do you think we should be optimistic about it? Yeah, you know, I do think we should be optimistic about it. Um, I think if there's hope anywhere, it's here. Um, you know, I think that it all comes down to communities and 
um, support of one another and just going back to kindness and, you know, listening with an open heart. But, you know, I do. I think I'm I'm very optimistic. No, Liana, I mean, uh, I'm glad that you say that because a lot of people, like, they actually want to go back to that feeling of family and community. But especially, like, for people, like, who are in the big cities, like, they, uh, they're so busy with their work or whatever, like, they have lost that connection. Like, I feel like a technology altogether has created a sort of isolation, ironically. Like, we have not become more connected with people, but we have also become more isolated. And I felt like the heart of America is more in the family values and community values and, like, knowing who your community is and who your neighbors are and all that. And I feel like that seems to be missing over the past several years. But I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I do think that that's probably very true. Um, you know, it's it. Nothing will ever replace face to face. You know, I'm glad we're able to get get back to that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that the heart of all things does come to relationships and community. And you know, hopefully, we can just get back to a, a good place in all of that. I mean, Liana, that's why I wanted to interview you. I was like pretty excited about interviewing because like you have a different aspect and you have like a different way. Like I've known you. And you have a different way of going about business, right? Like, you know, unlike the big businesses that are all, oh, profit-oriented, like, oh, I, it's all about the numbers and everything. You have, like, a different feel when you're doing your business. It's more about community and family values and all of that. And I feel like that seems to have been missing in America on, like, a national level. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's just how you... um create loyalty. It's how you create support. And, um, you know, it's just, yeah, I think it's the root of all things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely. So Liana, um, I know that you have a curriculum for diabetes, uh, uh, like to educate people about diabetes. Can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, this education and, and the premise of what got you started on this? Yeah. So um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 25. I won't tell you how long ago that was. I'm not going to give my age away. But, um, you know, that just really started. People are not going to judge you with that. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I just, that really, um, you know, it really changed my life. I, You know, 25, just about to graduate pharmacy school. And I, I was just blindsided with this diagnosis. You know, I did, I had all those signs and symptoms, but I was in denial. I, I thought, oh, I'm just really stressed. Um, this can't, this can't be. And I was actually um, at, at home doing a, a community pharmacy rotation in my pharmacy and thought, oh, I'm just gonna uh, check my own blood sugar, which don't do, by the way, you can't diagnose yourself. You need to go into a doctor, but I did it anyway. And um, my number, I can still remember flashing on that glucometer was 311. And I thought, uh-oh. And I, I called my hometown doc and said, I, I need to get in. I think I have diabetes. And, um, you know, I think, think they thought I was panicking a little bit. And I'm like, all right, we'll, the next opening's in two weeks. And so I hung up the phone and, and completely panicked and called back and said, no, like, I think I have diabetes. And Bless my my hometown doc. He said, come in on my lunch break, you know. So I did. I ran over, got the labs, and and it confirmed it, you know, type 1 diabetes. And 
I went back to the pharmacy and my parents were there doing a big project in the basement of, of the pharmacy. And I just, I, I gave them the news and we just all started crying. And just from that time of seeing my blood sugar to the news, to the reality, I went through fear and worry and resentment, you know, how could my own body betray me like this? And when I left the doctor, you know, I had all these new medications I was going to have to start, all these new supplies and a referral for this thing called diabetes education and just all these emotions, you know, about to get married. Will my husband still want me? What does this mean for our future? Can I have children? Will my children have diabetes? Will there be complications? You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Steel Magnolias. Um, great movie if you haven't seen it, but um, you know, it's about someone with with diabetes um and whatnot. Anyway, that's the thing that came to my mind is, you know, just all these terrible things and I thought I had the knowledge, you know, I know the anatomy, physiology, medications, and, and I wasn't even going to go to this diabetes educator, but I'm a rule follower. So I went and, um, you know, came out of that appointment, which, which didn't get to happen right away, but I came out of that appointment knowing that I didn't know everything. And I finally realized what diabetes education is. And it's, it's how to live well with diabetes. It's all the practical stuff. It's all the the skills and the tools and the foundation to not just survive with diabetes, but to thrive. And so that was really the kickstart for me. Um, I figured out how to get a accredited program in my pharmacy to be able to teach as well. And, um, you know, since then, I've just ran into so many barriers and it's one of the most underutilized um, pieces of our healthcare system. And so, yeah, you know, I hope to be able to make a, a bigger impact in that area for for others who go through those emotions. You know, that that was just my day one of living with diabetes and and it, it's hard and, and people need to feel supported. And so that's that's just a big passion of mine. That is that is amazing, Liana, because, you know, like sometimes like terrible things happen to us. And but in that moment, it seems like there's a lot of darkness. But overall, like I like I, I'm of the belief that sometimes God wants us to help other people and they want us to feel compassion for those people in that particular field. So we end up going through it ourselves. And then like, look, like right now you're helping a lot of people that are, have diabetes and it's 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 amazing, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I totally believe that as well. Um I was having a a conversation with a group and this this concept of I I believe life is happening for me, not to me came up. And you know, I truly do believe there is good in everything and the more you look the more you'll find. And I am actually so much healthier living with diabetes than I was prior um because it's a choice now. Um to to do that right you you know what's good for you you know what what things can can make it worse and then it really is a diagnosis for the whole family so now my whole family knows how to eat better knows how to take care of themselves and so yeah there's there's definitely good in everything and then the things that you can't control just to learn to let them go 
So yeah. No, that is uh, that is awesome, Liana. Like I uh, I also think that yeah, uh, we all have to eat healthy, like in general. Um, but as you know, like there's like there's like a kind of like a running joke going around that like one third of Americans are like super obese or whatever it is. And they go to like shopping malls and they eat all the McDonald's and all that. That's it's just like a running joke. I don't know how much of it is true, but yeah, yeah, you know it is. It's um, you know, it's almost like there's a diabetes pandemic, and and obesity is a a factor there. They're they're correlated, um, but again, I think a lot of that comes down to education. Um, Sometimes people can't afford a better budget. Sometimes people are very busy and can only go through a drive-through. Um, sometimes they don't, you know, have a, a a grocery shopping budget or they don't have transportation to even get to their doctor. So, what can we do to reach reach all these all these different people that are in different socioeconomic classes that have different um, social determinants of health, et cetera? You know. So Liana, this is one thing that I wanted to like, I, I wanted to talk especially with you because uh, it's something that uh, had annoyed me for like the longest time. Like whenever, uh, so I, you know about health insurance, right? Like how the insurance just kept getting uh, like, like uh, there was a year when I was paying $138, then jumped to $200 a month, then jumped to like $238 a month. A lot of people are paying a lot of money for like health insurance. And it feels like, some of the big companies that they're taking advantage of them financially. And I don't know, what were, what are your thoughts uh, being somebody in the medical industry about, about health insurance costs just like rising uh, year after year? Yeah, you know, that's just, that's definitely a trend. Um, and it, it depends on the employer. Um, it depends on the, the middleman negotiating those contracts. Um, you know, my husband and I have seen it too. Every year, the premium goes up. Um, on the Medicare side, you know, the the coverage gap changes, formularies are changing. Um, you know, I I don't know that I have a great answer for you other than I I see those trends too. Um, and again, a lot of it has to do with a lack of transparency. There's, you know, there are people in the middle doing negotiating and. We're not seeing where the savings are, where the savings are being passed on, um, and that sort of thing. So that's a that's a big topic for a better expert than myself. But I I do know what you're saying. But the reason I was bringing it up is because you were talking about diabetes and obesity, and like I know like a lot of people uh they have health problems, right? And they need affordable health care. But one of the biggest problems in this nation is that these health insurance costs just keep rising and rising. I mean, on top of inflation, right? So you have inflation going on and then you've got like this health insurance costs rising and people have like families to feed, you know? So from your perspective, like, or like being in like rural America, like, yeah, and you're watching all of this, like, what is like your perspective overall and what's your opinion about it? Yeah, you know, it's it's incredibly disheartening when I have a patient come in and they have diabetes and they're insulin dependent and they can't afford their insulin. Um, it's, it's terrible when someone with Medicare reaches that donut hole and, and they're blindsided by it. They haven't set savings aside and now all of a sudden they're rationing medications. They're going longer in between dosing or, or whatever to make it through. So they don't have that out of pocket expenses. Um, 
you know, there are people to help. There are social workers. There are assistance programs. You know, a lot of that um, comes down to knowing who to talk to, where to go for that kind of help. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's a big problem. There is legislation now. I believe there's, for example, insulin, um, which was a hot, is a hot topic. You know, it is a life-saving medication. People who need it literally can't survive without it. You know, me with type one diabetes, if I, I will not survive without insulin. So, um, but there are insulin cap bills coming down the pipeline, um, to hopefully help with some of that. But regardless, you know, it, it is, um, and then as the pharmacy, right, it's, it's almost like people get mad at us for, for the cost of their medicine now, but we're not the ones pricing it. It's their insurance um, and the way that the system is set up. But, you know, those are really tough conversations. People have to be angry at someone. And I'm sorry they're angry at you. Like, yeah. I, I know for a fact myself, like, um, there was a story that came out a few years ago about the big pharma brew. Like, his name was Skrillex. And there was this life-saving drug. That was the charge at thirteen and a half dollars, but he bought this company. He's like uh, in New York, and then he charged like thousands of dollars for the same thing to make profits. And there was it created an uproar altogether, and people were pissed at Big Pharma, like they, because uh, you cannot take li a life saving drug and then just like make it unaffordable. I think the price was seven fifty. He rose, he made it, uh, he increased the cost from thirteen and a half dollars per pill to seven fifty dollars per pill or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a hot topic right now for sure. Yep. I mean, it's, it's something that I would love. I, I would have wanted to talk with you for hours and hours about it. Cause like you're in the pharma, you're in pharmaceutical industry. And uh, I wanted to see a perspective, your perspective of all things, but we don't uh, like, we don't have that much time for this interview. So yeah, that, that we'll do that though. There, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but like for like the audience, uh, especially like, yeah, they know that their insurance costs are rising and they want affordable healthcare. And yeah, I feel like the solution is more of like having small independent businesses that which are, uh, and, uh, like pharmacies altogether, uh, that are more family oriented and more based on community values. Cause yeah. that's at the end of the day, like the major takeaway I feel like we, from this interview is about family-oriented, community-oriented businesses, they have a different feel. They have more compassion, unlike like big businesses that are more like, they more prioritize profits, you know? And that's like the main point that I'm trying to make over here. Yeah, yeah, you know, we do. We spend a lot of time, um, you know, when we see a high copay come across or something, you know, we, we automatically go look for a manufacturer coupon or assistance, you know, before the patient ever even comes in the door, we're already trying to, you know, get ahead of the situation and find ways to help. So yeah, you know, it does, it just, it comes down to those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Liana, is there any project that you're working on right now that uh, you'd want the audience to get a glimpse into or some yeah. work that you yeah, a couple of things. You know, another topic that's really near and dear to my heart is actually in the space of um, opioid use, opioid prevention, and that sort of thing. So um, working on a little project, a little campaign here in Montana called Promise to Pre Protect Montana, where we are um, have been given a grant to be able to offer a, a new um, locking cap um, 
to go along with a patient's opioid prescription. And it it is meant to be abuse deterrent um, to to prevent unintended misuse of of a prescription um, that has abuse potential. And so that's something that we're really excited to be a part of, um, kind of get the kinks worked out of a system and see how we can um, get this thing into the hands of patients where it would be beneficial. It's also great in the area of accidental um, poisoning if you have children in the home and things like that. Um, with a long-term goal of getting this cap covered by insurance. So to add value to independent pharmacies to get get these caps in their hands as well, um, you know, because people trust their, their pharmacist and um, it's probably a little bit of a new concept and, you know, there may be some resistance there, but I really believe that um, independent pharmacy can play a role um, in helping fight the opioid crisis and especially in the area of prevention. So I'm really excited for that. And then, um, you know, hopefully working on a premier digital diabetes curriculum, something that will show patients why they should invest in their health. Um, and something that will do it in a way that brings them hope and joy and, fill the gaps in care that is out there right now and make it accessible. So I'm, I'm really excited to begin working on that as well. That is awesome. Yana. Like uh, what you're doing is actually really, cause yeah, the opioid crisis is crazy. And uh, a lot of families, they're ruined because of like drugs, you know, like it destroys families altogether. It's well known. So that's, that's really awesome. So Liana, where can our audience go to connect with you and get to know more of what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so I'm on social media. You can follow it's Yellowstone Farmer, Farmer with a PH, because I think that's really funny. And um, also on LinkedIn, just under Leanna Schwind. So yeah, happy to, to answer any questions. That is awesome, Leanna. Yeah, I want to conclude this interview by telling you that, yeah, you're an extraordinary American and you basically are a symbol when it comes to like small independent businesses that are fight that are like fighting to survive and, and a lot of people I do hope will take inspiration of that and they start their own small independent businesses because ultimately that is the backbone of the economy. And what you're doing regarding the far with your dreams and passions about pharmacy is also pretty amazing, you know? And you're helping a lot of people, especially in diabetes. So I'm really honored to interview you and I do hope that you come back to the show at a later time. Yeah, you betcha. Thank you. Yeah, and I want to conclude this show by telling my fellow extraordinary Americans that, hey, there's an extraordinary American within each and every one of us, and it's our duty to awaken it and unleash it. Until next time, bye for now. Hey there, everyone. Thank you for watching Extraordinary America. If you like what you see, please do subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. Remember that the best investment that you can make in your lifetime is in your own financial education, for it is knowledge that truly sets you free. Also remember that uh, your purchasing power is being diluted through inflation, and then the practical thing to do is to protect the loss of your purchasing power by investing in precious metals or the right cryptocurrencies. Also, never forget that you are an extraordinary American. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.